Outdoor clothing brand Patagonia uses its values and ethical stance front and center in their digital marketing. But having taken a look at their digital, I think they're leaving a ton of growth on the table by not covering some of the basics. The question, of course, is, is it impacting them? But the wider question for all of the rest of us who aren't Patagonia is, what can other ethical brand owners, regular brand owners, e-commerce businesses, and marketers in general learn from Patagonia's digital marketing? In this episode, we're going to find out. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency. We help our clients get more leads and sales from their website. And that is exactly what this podcast is all about, helping you to generate more leads and sales from your site. So today we're going to be looking at Patagonia and we're going to be drawing out the lessons from their digital marketing, both good and bad so that we can apply them to our own digital marketing. But before we get into the specifics of Patagonia's digital, I want to discuss the ethical side of things because spend any time on the Patagonia site, you will appreciate, or their socials for that matter, you will appreciate how much their mission and their story is important to the brand. Now this really plays in with a big shift in the world today. We, no one can have failed to notice. If you search Google Trends for ESG, i.e. environmental, societal, and governance, that is a definition of a hockey stick graph. This stuff is has never been so important. The values behind the products we buy, this movement is being seen at every level, from the large numbers of ethical startups to the pressure on hedge funds to make sure their investments obey environmental and societal and governance standards. This is fantastic, undeniably. Businesses are becoming more aware of the impact that we can have on the world and its inhabitants. And it's absolutely right that more of us are making the most sustainable choices here. But let's not kid ourselves. Patagonia has used this very well from a positioning perspective to make sure that they're seen as a thought leader in this space. And they've used it as a way of collecting an audience, which is also passionate about these messages. So our first lesson today is to make sure that you're on the right side of a movement like this. You do not want to be wrong-footed by competitors who are starting to think more about you know, things like stakeholder capitalism. You don't want to be on the wrong side. You don't want to be left behind by this. So my advice is take the front foot on this and get involved sooner rather than later. If we dig a little bit more into Patagonia's own um, story and their background, for example, well, they've got a story section on their website which details the company history. And this is really interesting because right at the start of the business, it's very clear that um, the impact and environmental side of things maybe wasn't as much of a focus as products, making good products, being innovative with materials. So they started off by making these climbing clips. They came up with these um, little things that you stick into the rock so that you can climb on. And this is really how they started the business. And, and then it was only over time where the ethical and environmental side of things started to come through. And the narrative began to change. If we look at their priorities today, if you go on their homepage, for example, at patagonia.com, to be honest, this is a really, really different type of homepage. You know, what it reminds me of most is actually a charity homepage. So we've got a section right at the top talking about 
um, the history of the brand and the fact that they urged climbers to stop using their best-selling products in 1972 because these products were damaging the environment. So that's the initial message that they give you. There's nothing about you know the fact that they sell outdoor clothing or anything like that. Underneath this, we've got a sort of strange scrollable product category section but it's not really massively clear what these are and it doesn't show the products front and center. So it's almost like it's not trying to feel too salesy, which is actually something that um, you, know, you experience across the site, not just on this homepage. So very small amount of information, just slightly above the fold that indicates they might be an e-commerce store. And then underneath that, we've got uh, the fact that they're all about climbing and they've been about clean climbing since 1972. Then we've got stories. And all of their blogs are about, I don't really know how to say it. it's kind of the world, it's lifestyle, it's um, different initiatives that are being run. There's uh, different activities that people can do. This is so non-commercial. It is unbelievable. Like I say, it reminds me most of a charity website in the fact that there's lots of different causes being talked about. The only difference is that on a charity website, you usually have loads of calls to action trying to get collect donations whereas you don't get that on the Patagonia site. So in a way, the Patagonia site is actually less commercial than a charity, which feels super, super weird. We'll come back to this in a bit later, but this is a trend. This is somewhere I think they're leaving some low-hanging fruit because yes, you can be very mission-focused, but you can also be about making money. And we'll look at some uh, alternatives later on. You also get a sense of this on their socials as well. Their mission is conveyed very strongly on their socials. So across their Instagram, for example, this is all pictures of wildlife, pictures of the scenery. Yes, they do have some posts where they feature people talking about clothes, but really bizarrely, when they do have people talking about clothes, it's actually talking about how they have fewer clothes and how they're trying to minimize their wardrobe. And these people aren't overtly wearing Patagonia clothing, so it's not like it feels like a Patagonia ad. So again, we get this impression that this is kind of a, um, a, a brochure site for a lifestyle as much as an e-commerce brand. You'd certainly struggle to work out, I think, what the goal of this Instagram page and what this business was all about if you didn't already know Patagonia. So they obey none of the standard e-commerce rules. They don't link to their products on their Instagram. They don't even show their products on Instagram in most of the posts. There are no promotions, there's no talk about the benefits or features, there are no influencer collabs. This is really interesting and I think really bold. The question I have is, do they really need to sacrifice so much product focus to get their mission across? And that's where I'm not sure that they do. Anyway, let's have a look in more detail at how they're generating sales or not online and see if other ethically driven brands are having to make a similar compromising conversion and you know, being an e-commerce business in return for getting this message across. So the website, let's go back to the website and let's talk about it in a bit more detail. So we've talked about the homepage. Like I say, it feels more like a charity, but one that isn't currently open for donations, if anything. We actually get people complaining on their Instagram about their website, saying how confusing it is and how difficult and fiddly it is, which is kind of interesting because Patagonia takes a very non-traditional approach too many of their pages. For example, their category page. I'm going to talk you through the layout of this. Now I'm looking at it on desktop. It's a similar story on mobile. So with the Patagonia category page, let's say for example, women's jackets and vests, we've got the women's jackets and vests headline at the top of the page. 
But actually, there is no other information about it. We're not talking about the fact that these are specifically for outdoors. We're not, there's no uh, like qualifying keywords. There's no you know, target phrases that they want to get in here. The fact that it's ethical or it's environmentally friendly. There's none of that. It just says women's jackets and vests, no category page copy at all. Then we've got some subcategories along the top, but they're not presented in the usual way that subcategories will be. By the way, if you want to see me talking through the actual website on the screen, you can go on YouTube and search Exposure Ninja Patagonia and you will find this video. So they've got these subcategories, but they're not presented in the usual way. There are no images of them. Um, and you have to scroll sideways along the page, which feels really counterintuitive on a desktop site. We then have lists of products, but rather than having uh, you know, uh, an infinite scroll category page which shows all the products, we have insulated jackets, which is one of their subcategories. There's a sideways scroll for that, which goes on for ages. Then the next layer down, as you may also like, this is basically a whole bunch of different products which don't appear to have any logical flow whatsoever. There is a filter, but the filter you can only see when you've scrolled down three full page scrolls. So it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Now, if we look at their menu, their website menu, it's horrific. If you open the shop uh, menu, you see you've got five columns of options and the women's column, for example, looks like it's probably got more than 20. I'm going to guess 25 different options. These are different options for different categories of stuff. So new arrivals is one option and then shorts would be another option. So what if you wanted some new arrival shorts, which one do you go? It's a complete nightmare. Usually with e-commerce categories, what we want to do is take people through a series of very simple logical choices so that they're never forced to dig through the bargain bucket approach where we give them thousands of options and force them to hunt. We just want to say, right, are you here for women's? Men's. Okay, men's, great. And then are you here for, you know, outerwear or innerwear? You know, right, great. And then are you here for coats or gilets? So every choice is really simple and logical. For example, if we look at how ASOS does it, ASOS has a very traditional e-commerce style menu and it works well. So they set everything they split it between men and women. So then if you're in the men's section, you only have a certain number of options to choose from. For example, clothing might be one. And then you've got different subcategories underneath that. When you click on them, then you can have filters on those underlying category pages. So whatever your website, you really want to take people, you want to force them to choose between as few options as possible. And if you're going to show options, make them alphabetical or something so people can actually find what they want, rather than just throwing them all in there and leaving people to dig around and try and find this thing. It's a nightmare. Um, okay, so their category pages are, I was going to be kind, I'd say innovative, right? Innovative layout um, with all this different types of product category. Their product pages are also um, innovative. So we have a product headline at the top. Uh, then we have the product image, really, really big full screen product image. And um, we've got different colors to each side. So you can scroll sideways to see each color. Then underneath that, if you scroll below the fold, you can see a size chooser and the add to bag button. Then we've got a bit of information, but the information is not about the product. It's about if you're having trouble finding something. Well, if you're having trouble finding something, it's probably because the website's an absolute nightmare. Then underneath, to be fair to them, they've got some great product imagery and they've got some great product video as well. 
So you actually do get a sense of what this product looks like, at least on the outside. What they don't do a particularly good job of is showing you the details. It's basically the same picture over and over again of the, you know, whatever the product, the jacket or something on someone standing far away. So you can see the silhouette. You don't really get the detail. Then you've got a small amount of text, one paragraph to explain what this is all about. Now, this is a real issue for me because Patagonia is making outdoor clothing. This is pretty technical stuff and they've got loads of features built in, but there's not enough information to convey all of that at all. There is a specs and features button, but it's so easy to miss. So you've got this product page which requires five or six scrolls and they're not telling you any more than you would get on a standard Amazon product page above the fold. It's a really strange way of doing things. Great product, imagery, fantastic. Video, great. CTAs, there's one and it doesn't scroll with the page. Now to go back to the cause and the mission piece, if you came through an ad and you landed on this page, all of that cause and the mission piece stuff is just gone. You don't see any of that above the fold. You don't see any of that in the text on the page. So I would put a benefits bar just underneath the menu, which explained you know, three or four things about why Patagonia was the choice for people that cared about the impact of their products. So their homepage is innovative in that it looks nothing like an e-commerce homepage. Their category page, really innovative in that it looks completely unlike any other sort of category page. The product page, again, really innovative, doesn't look anything like a typical product page. Let's talk about innovation in marketing because this is a really contentious topic. If you go to a creative agency to have your website built, they will want to surprise you. They'll want to surprise and delight you. They'll focus on innovation for your website layout. Now, let's be 100% clear. Innovation in marketing is great in places. Innovate with your product offering that blows your competitors away. Innovate with an irresistible offer that people want to sign up for. A compelling call to action that hasn't been used in the market. Innovate with a mind-blowing returns policy as Patagonia have unusually large focus on impact. You can innovate with all of those things. But in all the websites that we've worked on over 10 years of e-commerce clients or lead generation clients, when it comes to conversion rate optimization in e-commerce, innovation and creativity are usually bad news. If you think about stores like ASOS, Amazon, or any e-commerce store that sells the most product in a space, what you'll usually find is that the layout has very little creativity about it. It is completely standardized. Think about how many UX people Amazon has on its staff. It could update its entire website design every month if it wanted to, and yet they never do. There is virtually nothing that goes outside the box with Amazon. The areas that they innovate are about shortening the journey of buying the product. It's about making that swipe motion to purchase quicker. There's nothing innovative there. They're not forcing you to hunt. They're not trying to delight you with layout or have animations that come in and show you different things because they know that that stuff is anti-conversion. Innovation means breaking the norm, and breaking the norm means surprising people, catching them off guard. That's where that surprise or delight comes from. That's the point of innovation. You're expecting this? Well, here's something different. But think about trying to make someone buy or become a lead on a website. Is surprising people what we want to do? Absolutely not. We want them to keep moving along the well-trodden path. 
We want them to go to a checkout that feels entirely normal and boring to them. We don't want them to think, oh, this is a crazy checkout. I wonder where the buy button is. We want them to go into autopilot mode, zombie mode, moving along. We want to put the button exactly where they expect to see it. A boringly undifferent and non-unique checkout or conversion process that feels entirely familiar so they can proceed zombie-like without a shred of surprise or a grain of resistance. Now, if we look at an alternative brand, which is sort of in a similar space, Pangaea. I'm going to call it Pangaea. I have no idea how you actually pronounce it. P-A-N-G-A-I-A. Now, they sell sort of ethical outerwear as well, a little bit like Patagonia. Now, they're not the same. Patagonia is a bit more exploratory. Pangaea is a bit more athleisure wear, sort of joggers and tracksuit type things. But they have a similar sort of approach, I guess. Very, very different. Now, their mission is also incredibly clear on their website, their use of diverse models. They're above the fold. This is made for, made for every day by everyone. We use this. It's organic and recycled cotton, blah, blah, blah. That's their message above the fold. Then underneath, we have traditional product category buckets where we're pushing people through to the product category pages. Their category pages are completely standard. Yes, they have a filter system right at the top that's really easy to use. They've got product category text at the top of the page as well. Their product pages themselves are boringly normal. We don't have to sacrifice conversion to get the message across. So for me, this is one area where Patagonia is being less commercial. I don't know if it's intentional. I don't know if it's accidental or there's just a, a general kind of rebellious attitude that means that they don't want their site to look like other e-commerce stores. But the downside of this approach will be conversions. So we've talked a little bit about their website. We also briefly mentioned their social. Let's look at some other traffic generating strategies for them. Now, we would expect for a brand like this, SEO to be quite important, so getting traffic from Google. If we have a look on SEMrush to see where they're ranking, and we can see that they're getting a reasonable amount of traffic. So SEMrush estimates about 360k visits per month in the US alone. But, and it's a big but, a lot of this traffic is branded traffic. People searching for Patagonia and hilarious variations of Patagonia spelling that people seem to be using. They do have some reasonable rankings, or at least the makings of some decent rankings for terms, particularly around fleece, um, which you know shows potential. But really, they could be pushing much harder here. It's not massively surprising that they're not ranking as well as they could be for their product category names like fleece or down jackets and things like this, because they don't have that product category page text, and they have very little text on their product pages as well. So that's a huge missed opportunity and one of the sacrifices that they're making for this non-traditional page layout. There's also a really weird thing where the US fleece page is ranking for UK fleece terms, which I don't fully understand and needs a bit more digging in. We'd send it over to the SEO team to make sure that all their location targeting is completely right because that's suboptimal and they're actually outranking their UK pages with the US page, which is all in dollars. So it's going to have a much lower conversion rate. A focused attempt on link building to their product category pages would also help them rank. This is one of the things that e-commerce stores often miss out on is that they can build links to their product category pages in order to help them rank better. Now, Patagonia does have some links, 
pointing at their product category pages, but these links are junk. They really are. They're just, um, you know, clothings with a Z.info, coupon-today.com, bags.info. There's lots of what look like spammy links. I don't know if they've been doing any spammy SEO. A lot of the time, if you've got a site with decent authority, you'll just pick up lots of this rubbish anyway. So it doesn't necessarily have to be intentional. But the point is that they, I can't see any decent links to their product category pages at all. Now, there are plenty of things that they could do to get links to their product category pages. We saw um, just this week, for example, there was a story about IKEA changing a lot of their product names and uh, they're changing their product names to like relationship statuses and things like this. Now, this can be a really smart move because when this catches on, so let's say that Patagonia wanted to change um, the names of their uh, their down jackets, for example, they, it was going to be National Mountain Month or National Mountain Climbing Month. What they might want to do is change the names of all their products on their website temporarily to the names of you know their favorite mountain ranges or something. They would then do some press to say you know to celebrate National Mountain Month, Patagonia is uh, you know hailing the best mountains of ever, the best map. This is it started off as a terrible like, idea. It's getting worse, but you get the gist of it. Then they could do some outreach to different climbing magazines, and this is the sort of thing that will put pick up some uh, traction in the climbing industry because it's quite a you know it's a, it's a, like it's going to be like an in joke type thing. It's also demonstrating Patagonia's credibility in this area. And what happens then is when loads of publications are talking about this, or people are sharing links on their socials or forums are posting about it, then that's building links to those category pages. So when National Mountain Month is over and you change your names back, you still have those links going to those pages. So it's a nice way of building links to category pages. Um, you know, you can do something like that that will get your audience's attention. Now, before we start talking about their social media, I wanted to offer you some free help with your digital marketing. So if you are marketing or you own a brand and you want help improving the volume of leads and sales that you're generating through your website, we have a free service here at Exposure Ninja called the World Famous Free Website and Digital Marketing Review. This starts with a short questionnaire where we ask you some information about your business. We then go away and do some research. We have a look at what you're currently doing, what your competitors are doing, and where the opportunities are for you to significantly increase the volume of sales that you're generating. This service is completely free of charge. We record a video which we'll send to you by email, usually within two to three working days. You can then take those recommendations, implement them yourself, give them to your current agency, or if you're interested in working with us, of course, we can have that conversation. So go to ExposureNinja.com to request your free website and digital marketing review today. Okay, so on with Patagonia's socials. Now, one of the areas that I wanted to start off looking at was TikTok. We looked briefly at their Instagram earlier and we talked a little bit about that, but TikTok for me is a really interesting space for them. Not least because one of their competitors, Arcteryx, has been blowing up on TikTok. Now, Patagonia's um, approach to TikTok is super interesting and a little bit baffling, like a lot of the rest of their digital marketing. They don't have a huge number of followers. They've got 55,000 followers, but a lot of you know, good-sized brands don't have many followers on TikTok yet, despite the direction of travel for TikTok being very, very strong. The sort of content that Patagonia are posting uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to call it vibes. It's basically these short video clips of either people surfing or people in mountain ranges. 
They've got these old school filters on them. I don't know if they are from the 60s and 70s. They look like they're from the 60s and 70s because they got the filters on. Now, would you know from looking at these that this was a clothing brand? Absolutely not. Would you know from looking at these that there is any sort of commercial intent to any of this stuff? Absolutely not. Is there even any attempt to help people build a relationship with the brand? No. Is there anything about impact even? No, there's nothing about impact. So this is purely just the vibe. It's the vibe of being outdoors. And it's the vibe of engaging in these different activities that they make clothing for. Now, if we look at Arcteryx, who I mentioned is absolutely killing it on TikTok, they have this kind of Arcteryx challenge that people have lots of people have posted videos about. And the deal is this, they go into the shower wearing their Gore-Tex Arcteryx coat, and they turn the shower on and you can see the water beading off this coat because it's Gore-Tex, that's what happens. So you get loads of people who are posting their version of this with their Arcteryx coat on. And there's a song that someone's made about Arcteryx, which even says, we don't wear no Patagonia as if it's like a direct cuss on Patagonia. So Arcteryx doing really well from this. Patagonia, absolutely silent. Nowhere to be seen here. It's like the whole conversation is happening without Patagonia even being aware. It's like when the kids are talking in code about the parents and dissing the parents, the parents don't even have an idea of what's going on because they don't have the code. They don't know what the kids are talking about. So if I'm Patagonia, I want to get in and I want to have the equivalent of that for me, right? I want to figure out what the Patagonia challenge is, what my hook is, how I can be most involved here, and how I can start getting traction on TikTok to fight back a bit. Patagonia has a huge community following. There's absolutely no reason they couldn't have their own hook. So for example, you could have like a product feature. They've got um, these coats that pack up into these impossibly tiny bags. You can fit an entire coat into a bag that's about the size of your fist. That would be a perfect thing to illustrate on TikTok. And you could get lots of people showing off their, you know, the functionality of their Patagonia jackets. A lot of their Patagonia jackets also have the same uh, water beading feature. They have the same uh, waterproofing as Arcteryx coats. They could even do the same thing. You know, they could fight back directly. But something needs to happen here because at the moment there's nothing going on, and Patagonia risks focusing only on Instagram where so much attention is moving on to TikTok that they could be left behind. So we had a look at Instagram. Let's have a look at Facebook. They've got 1.7 million likes, but, and it's a big but, like many brands, they are barely, barely posting on Facebook. So I'm filming this on the 18th of March, 2022. They posted one post yesterday. Before that, they posted one post a week ago today. Uh, and that was about the Ukraine-Russia war. It's a terrible post. It's long form copy, but without any paragraphs at all. There's uh, They're offering to um, match people's donations and actually double the donations that people make towards the fund, which is a great cause, but they haven't promoted it at all. It's had 22 responses on a page with 1.7 million likes. I would have wanted to run boosted posts on this, boost it out to the audience, make sure that the image you're using is actually Patagonia based so people know that there's a brand piece here. And then you'll get more attention behind the cause. But also, you can use that to build Patagonia's visibility as well. Anyway, that was a week ago. And then before then, it's a month since the previous post. So they're posting like two times a month which to be honest is just not enough. Now you're not getting any organic visibility on your Facebook post, fine. 
But the answer is not to stop posting. The answer is to boost those posts. If you're posting stuff, which is meaningful, which you always should be, and is, you know, it's building the brand of Patagonia, you need to be putting money behind this. Otherwise, people aren't going to see it. You don't need to put a huge amount of money behind it, particularly if you've got 1.7 million followers on Facebook, but you need to put something behind it. Now, if you move over to have a look at Facebook ads, they have no ads, they have no ads running at all. They have lots of different pages. Um, but the last ads that they were running were in May 2020. And the amount that they were spending was between 100 and $199. I wouldn't necessarily have put a lot of money behind these ads either, because they are all just about causes. There's no attempt to make any sales, which also makes it's very, very difficult to track results on any of this stuff. They're working in partnership with different causes and they're linking the Facebook page of the cause, which is awesome. It's great that they're doing this. I'm just saying you could run some remarketing or retargeting ads, surely. So the fact that they're doing so little on Facebook and Instagram, I would say maybe they're taking an ethical stance against Facebook. They don't want to be seen to be giving their money to Facebook. If that's the case, totally fair enough. But the fact that they're doing virtually nothing on TikTok either makes me think that social media just isn't a priority for them, which is really disappointing. Now, the one area where they are doing something which is interesting and can be a lesson to us all is search ads. Not search ads everywhere, by the way, just search ads in the US. They're doing something very interesting here. So they're running um, text ads. So, you know, typical Google search ads when you type in uh, down jacket or whatever or Patagonia jacket, you will see a Patagonia ad. But on mobile, they are spending an estimated $8,500 per month, whereas on desktop, they are spending an estimated $94,000 per month. We're talking just the US here. So what they've got is a ad campaign that is very, very, very heavily skewed towards desktop, about 10 times as much desktop cost and traffic as mobile. Why would they be doing this? Well, the main reason that they would be doing this typically when someone is doing this is because the traffic that they're getting from mobile is not converting. It's not performing anywhere near as well as the desktop traffic. So they make the decision to just focus their budget on that desktop traffic, which is more profitable for them. I wouldn't be surprised if Patagonia were doing this because their website is so strange, they are likely to be underperforming with conversion rate both on desktop and mobile. So it's very possible that they've just decided to kill the mobile advertising altogether. They're not doing this everywhere, by the way. You might think, oh, they figured something out. Great, they're going to be rolling it out worldwide. Well, they're not. They're just doing this in the US. <laughs> it seems like other countries, they're taking a much more kind of scattered approach. So this isn't an unusual strategy to see. We'll often add negative bid adjustments on mobile because that traffic isn't performing as well. But what is unusual is the level at which they're splitting. They've essentially turned off their ads on mobile. So that is a potential lesson for you. Obviously, let your data be the guide. Have a look in Google Ads, split it out by devices and see what proportion of your budget is going to each one. And then you can decide where you want to deploy that budget. So Patagonia confuses me. The cause and the mission seem to be everything in their marketing. And by everything, I mean everything. It's almost like they've given up with the basics of digital marketing. Aside from their search ad strategy, which seems sensible, this desktop mobile split, there's really not a whole lot going on. 
Now, whether this is a conscious attempt to shun commercial focus and not appear too salesy, I don't know. But guess what? Patagonia is still fundamentally a clothing brand. Their contribution to their causes is going to be directly proportional to the amount of product that they can sell. I would love to see them taking market share from other less ethical brands, then they can use that sale, they can use that revenue to funnel into the causes that they're passionate about. So I don't understand why they aren't going harder with their digital marketing. They have a great story, well-loved product, and great causes. What's your take? Drop us a comment on the YouTube video version or let us know. You can email me, tim at ExposureNinja.com if you've got some inside goss on why Patagonia is doing this. By the way, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review. But until next week, see you soon.